Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Remember the fun of naming a new pet? Now, in my family, we rotated that honor, so I got to do it every fourth pet. And it was kind of stressful, to be honest. You were under a lot of pressure to come up with a really good name. Well, imagine taking on the task of naming an entire species. Earlier this year, Dr. Christopher Whalen got that chance. It all started when he realized something unusual about the fossil of an octopus ancestor that had been sitting in Canada's Royal Ontario Museum for decades. I noticed this fossil and thought it looked interesting, so took it out on loan to study later. Did nothing with it for a couple of years until, you know, went randomly one day while thinking, you know, what should I do with this? Should I just return these fossils? I noticed that this sort of blob at the front of the fossil actually looked like independent arms, which is interesting. That's not something you see a lot. But Whalen decided to name the new fossil after President Joe Biden. That did make some headlines. But I'll let him pronounce the official name for us. So this is Solipsimipode by Denny. Uh, it's the oldest known relative so far of octopuses and vampire squid. I'm your host, Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat, the podcast where we dig deeper into some unusual stories. Now, this tale of an ancient sea creature named after the current president made us wonder how exactly scientists name species and what issues may arise when arriving at those names. Dr. Whalen, a postdoctoral fellow with the American Museum of Natural History and Yale University, and Dr. Brittany Kenyon Flats, a postdoctoral research fellow at North Carolina State University, joined us to unpeel the history behind scientific names. Originally, you know, someone in Spain and someone in, you know, Italy and someone in France would discover a new species and name it in their native tongue, but then somebody else would go to look up the species and not know what they were looking for. Describe the excitement for you when you finally realize, wow, this is something completely new. We've never seen this before. It's definitely exciting. I'd say it's kind of like a slow burn because you're you're getting your hopes up, but you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself and you don't want to get too carried away. So you're trying to sort of restrain yourself from getting gradually more and more excited. That's a good comparison here. If you think you're about to win an award, maybe, but you don't actually know for sure you've won it yet, and you're still waiting up until that moment. That's sort of the feeling. Beyond uncovering a new species, though, Dr. Whalen's research has changed our understanding of how the modern octopus has evolved. It's unclear when this fossil, which predates the dinosaurs, but we do know where. It was found in Montana and then donated to the Royal Ontario Museum in the 1980s. There's several fossil cephalopods that preserve arms, but it's not very common. And then looking at those arms under a microscope, that's where I noticed that it had the, the individual suckers preserved. And that's what's incredibly rare. So yeah, that, that already was something that was worth exploring further, worth writing up and, and studying. 
but at the time it was just thought a little like fun you know here's a really well preserved ancient cephalopod but in doing that extra studying that's when we realized that it could actually be the oldest known relative of octopuses and, and vampire squid which was very interesting and pushes back the date for that group of animals that we call vampiropods by about 84 million years. This is saying that they were about 84 million years older than we used to think they were. At this point, you might be wondering what the Biden eye creature looks like. It's about the size of your hand. Uh, it's not a very large fossil, but this is a fairly normal size for a fossil cephalopod or even a living cephalopod. We like to think about the big ones, but most animals are not that big. It's particularly interesting because it's got 10 arms while being the oldest relative of octopuses, which obviously had eight arms. Been expecting to find a 10-armed relative of octopuses for some time, but this is the first actual fossil to show that. As far as naming it then, now, was that something that you requested that you be the one to name it? Yeah, so the first author of the paper gets to, to name it. That's, that's sort of the way that uh, biological nomenclature works. Whoever writes it up, discovers it, names it. And how did you choose this name? So the genus name, uh, Solipsimopodi, that is prehensile foot. That is the same biological structure that the arms in the cephalopod are made of. And then the species name? The species name is after uh, President Joe Biden. There's a few reasons. The simplest is that when we submitted the paper, it was about a month, within a month of his inauguration. So it was sort of something on our mind. It seemed like a nice way to celebrate the moment. But we were also encouraged more broadly about his conversations on science and about respecting science and funding science and addressing climate change. Is he aware of this or are any of his staff aware of this? And has there been any feedback? I, you know, I don't know if he's personally aware of it. I know that someone on his staff would be because uh, when this paper first came out, some of the reporters did ask the White House for comment, but they didn't have a response. I think it would be pretty cool to have a squid named after you. Someone <laughs> needs to tell him if he doesn't know. But while naming a species sounds like part of the fun of being a scientist, Whalen says there are some downsides to taxonomy. That's the system that researchers use to categorize living things. Taxonomy itself predates our understanding of evolution. So one of the downsides to that is we've got this system of bins within bins, basically, that isn't in and of itself describing the evolutionary process. So we've sort of co-opted that system and used it to describe evolution, but it wasn't initially designed that way. And you get some clunky things as a result because of that. For example, if I say reptiles to you, you probably think lizards, snakes. Uh, and if I say birds to you, you, you're thinking of birds. Those are both classes in Linnaean hierarchy. They were first um, proposed by someone named Carl Linnaeus, who we call the father of taxonomy. That is Dr. Brittany Kenyon Flat, to help give us some background on what's known as Linnaean hierarchy. The problem is that birds are within reptiles. Birds are just very derived, highly modified reptiles. So we, as, as paleontologists, just call them reptiles. We wouldn't use birds formally as, as a group. But if you're someone who studies birds, you still do that. 
In biology, the Latin-based two-name system used to create the solipsomopodi bidenii moniker is called binomial nomenclature. It was formalized by Linnaeus, a Swedish scientist who died nearly 250 years ago. He took inspiration from Aristotle and Plato's ideas, and he specifically chose Latin because it was the language of kind of the upper class white Europe, and especially upper class white male Europe. Women were not allowed to learn Latin, and so that automatically excluded women. Like you've said, people in other places of the world don't necessarily learn Latin, and so it inherently excludes them. So it was kind of based on these really Eurocentric ideas. In modern times, you know, we are able to kind of use translation systems to help bridge that gap, but there is certainly a lot of work to be done, I think, on kind of de-Eurocentrizing this idea of taxonomy. Last year, Kenyon Flat wrote a piece for Sapiens magazine that described how the Linnaean system has also contributed to the major misconception that race is a biological fact. Adding to the irony, I guess, it's not just a European language, it's a dead European language that we're using. Right, exactly, which, you know, creates, you know, even more confusion where I know for me personally, I'm kind of constantly looking up, you know, Latin word roots and things to try to understand where something came from because I, I don't speak Latin. And so we have this kind of, in some ways, slightly outdated system. How difficult is it to differentiate species from one another? There are so many of them that are just so similar. Yeah, it can be really difficult. And that's what a lot of my dissertation work was on um, a few years ago. I studied the macaques, which are a group of monkeys living in kind of southeastern Asia and northern Africa. And I looked at their bone structure. And so I used a method called geometric morphometrics, which basically looks at the shape of the bones in one species versus another to tell, you know, see if there's any differences between the species. And therefore, is there enough of a difference that warrants, you know, its own species name? There usually was, but it's very slight. And so when we're talking about, you know, some of these, what is, is this species different than this species or similar to this species? A lot of it is really like nitty gritty and you can really get into the weeds with that basically. But the bottom line is the naming of a new species is generally given to the person who discovers it. Oftentimes it is, although there has also, in recent times, there's been some competitions for naming a new species. Sometimes they're named after a funder or sometimes, you know, they put out kind of a call for naming a new species and kind of more to the general public for some kind of science communication work um, to get some pe- some other people kind of on board. Is it ever controversial to name a species after a political figure like the Biden eye? There are, I think there's something like nine species named after Obama. There's lots of species named after David Attenborough. I know there's other species named for other U.S. presidents. There's like Washington's wasp. There's a shrew for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So it's certainly not of heard of, and it's usually considered a very high honor. But, you know, given that, I think, you know, we need to also take into account some of the kind of sociopolitical movements in the U.S. where We've been taking down statues or renaming buildings, um, and it's important to recognize that maybe not all people are deserving of a species name, or we also need to kind of look at the colonial roots of some of these names, right? So if we are naming an East African shrew for a U.S. president, as is the case with this you know, shrew named after FDR, there might be some kind of controversy about that. We did a story this morning on the, the Audubon Society. It wants to, at least one chapter of it wants to change the name because... Audubon, John James Audubon was a slaveholder back in the 1700s. Yes, exactly. And so kind of, yeah, when these kind of historical figures, um, some of their past is dug up, you know, you have to kind of really be careful.
what is the current process then? Let's say I stumble across a new species. Not likely, but yeah, you know, you never know. What happens? What do I do? You can turn to the literature and see if you can find anything that's similar to what you have discovered. There are some governing bodies like the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature or ITIS, the Integrated Taxonomic Information Systems. You can kind of look up species names and see what's kind of valid and what's out there. Now, most of the time, scientists take the route that Whalen did when he discovered that he had a unique fossil. If you really have discovered something that is unknown to science, typically you would write a paper for it for a scientific journal arguing how this new organism is different from other previously described organisms, and you propose a name for it. The paper is peer-reviewed, you know, and so other experts in your field kind of have looked over it. Um, It's then published, and then you have a new species. How many more of these undiscovered species are out there given the age of the earth i would think they're <laughs> just they're countless ones just waiting to be discovered yeah quite a lot I, I sometimes run into people thinking like the paleontology is relatively done like don't you know what all the dinosaurs are by now or something like that and you're right it's it's not a science that's going to be done anytime soon i mean ignoring the you know fact that dinosaurs are just one small part of one small group of animals on earth and there's everything else to study at any given interval of time in earth history and animals have been around for over 600 million years you've got you know a whole diversity of animals if a species is only lasting a few million years then that's an enormous you know no one's ever bothered to quantify this but it's really kind of an unthinkable number of extinct animals that will need to be discovered if they can be discovered so there's really This isn't a science that's going to be done, ever. Have you yourself ever gotten to name a species? No, unfortunately, I have not. I study a lot about species and kind of, you know, have a lot of questions about what actually the definition of a species is. But no, I haven't discovered anything yet. If you ever get that opportunity, do you have any names floating around in your head? I was kind of thinking about this this morning. I, um recently had a baby and so you know i think i might have to name it after my son morgan <laughs> morgan morgan yeah morgani yeah morgani exactly <laughs> i'm mike rogers and thanks for listening to something offbeat this episode written and produced by lauren berry and chris blake with audio editing by chris blake original music by myron kaplan and editorial support from cooper mall To keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 